Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. I'm super glad to see y'all. I prayed that you'd be here. I mean, I didn't say your names, sorry, but I did say, Lord, please bring everybody here who's supposed to be here. And you're who he sent. So lucky me, am I right? Today's um, kind of a big, a big week. A lot of good things happening this week. I do want to remind you of our, of our motto, who we are. Um, those of you who have been around know it. Those of you who are, are new or relatively new might not have heard it yet. Um, but it's right here on this banner. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. So glad to let you know that. A couple of things. Um, the Chosen series. If you, have anybody seen that? The Chosen series? Really, really good. We have that on DVD, and um, you can borrow it. Just borrow it and bring it back, okay? So it's right over here. I don't know if we have a sign-out sheet or anything. Just bring it back when you're, when you're done, okay? A couple of other big deals. There's some birthdays coming up, and I normally don't do this. Wow. Okay. Um, but one of these birthdays, if I don't say something about it, I'll get in trouble. And the fact that I'm saying something about it will get me in even bigger trouble. My beloved wife has a birthday this week. Um, I would tell you... I would tell you how old she's going to be, but you would say I'm off by at least 15 years. So, so she'll be very, very young. So she does not look it at all. She's a very well-preserved family, and um, I'm, I'm very grateful for her. Uh, something else happened in this week. Uh, February 7th is Tuesday, and that, made, that makes 23 years ago that I said yes to ministry. And um, I had a very different plan for my life. I did not at all plan to be hanging out with y'all folks. But 23 years ago, he grabbed me and he's like, okay, buddy, this is what you're going to do. And I'm constantly amazed. And there have been lots of times that I wanted to quit. And I'm sure glad I didn't because I wouldn't get to hang out with y'all this morning. And that'd be a big, big loss. So I'm excited to get back into the Word of God, into the Gospel of Mark. The, the first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. It means the good news. It's the story of Jesus. But... We should not view it as like four volumes in a series, like Matthew's volume one, and, and, and then Mark is volume two, picks up where Matthew left off. No, it's not like that. It's like four different points of view. Um, we've got the Super Bowl coming up next week, and there's lots of camera angles on the game, right? Just imagine Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to be four camera angles on what was happening. One football game, one, one event... And yet, four different angles reveal different things. If you watch a football game, it's one game, right? But with multiple cameras, you see different angles, and they'll do a replay to see, oh, what happened here? Well, we can't see it from this angle. Let's look from this other camera angle. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are kind of like that. Matthew, the first gospel, is kind of like the view from the booth at a football game where the offensive coordinator sits, and he can see the whole field and kind of sees where everything fits so he can call the right plays. Well, Matthew gives us that sort of a view of the life of Jesus where we see how Jesus fits into history, especially the history of the Jewish people, That's and where he fits right in there. That's what Matthew does. Luke gives us the view from the sidelines where the coaches and the players are. It's a much closer look. It's an intimate look. Um, Jesus, uh, Luke tells us more about the, the humanity of Jesus and the details of his life. Luke is the gospel that gives us the story of, of how he was born in Bethlehem. The other gospels don't give us those details. He gives us that closer view. 
John gives us the view from the Goodyear blimp over the game. So John's like looking down from the sky and seeing it from that angle. And John gives us a, a perspective like from God's point of view on Jesus's life, the, the heavenly eternal perspective. And we see the deity of Jesus and we see not only where he fits into history, but everything where he fits into eternity. Then there is Mark. And I like Mark. Mark kind of takes the camera and goes right out onto the field and jumps in the sweaty dog pile with the football players. He gives us this fast-paced, action-oriented view of the life of Jesus. Now, we don't see all the details. Just if you're, like, if you're in a football game, you don't see what's going on on the other side of the field necessarily. You just see what's nearby. So that's what Mark does for us. He gives us this close-up view of the action. So Mark is, Mark is the very first book of the Bible you should read, in my opinion. If you've never read the Bible or you want to start reading it again, start at the book of Mark because it gives you all the action in Jesus' life right away. And then once you are in the game, then go back and read the other Gospels to give you the other details because Mark just doesn't have a lot of details. It's all about action. There's a reason why the Gospel of Mark is so action-packed. See, Mark was a protege of the Apostle Peter. You've heard of this guy. He's always doing things. <laughs> when you read about him, he's always in the middle of it. He's always speaking up. He's always taking action. This is a guy when something had to be said or something shouldn't have been said, Peter's the one that said it, Simon Peter. He's the guy when they came to apprehend G Jesus in the garden, he decided to lop off a guy's ear. What a story. That's Simon Peter. And Mark was the protege of Simon Peter. And we are pretty sure that the story that Mark tells us is the story from Peter's point of view. So he was really close. He was one of the inner circle. Even among the 12, he was one of the three closest people to Jesus while he was on earth. And we've seen some action so far, haven't we? In the book of Mark, it's been a while. We left Mark alone about November. <laughs> so it's been a while to catch up. We've seen Jesus doing some pretty amazing things. He's healing people. He's giving sight to the blind. He's finding people who cannot walk and lifting them up. He's bringing the dead to life. He's kicking out evil spirits. He's calming storms. And he is, best of all, transforming lives. We made it to chapter 6. Jesus is going to go to his hometown. Back to where he grew up. Now, we know the town Jesus was born in. It's kind of famous. We sing about that at Christmas time. He was born in. Bethlehem. During his ministry, he was mostly in and around a place we haven't heard so much about, Capernaum. But we've heard that a lot as we studied through the book of Mark. Capernaum is where he hung out. Sometimes he'd go down to Jerusalem. But his name is maybe most associated with the town where he grew up, the town where he was a kid and a young adult and into adulthood up to his about 30. And that's the town of Nazareth. Nazareth. They called him Jesus of Nazareth lots of times in the Bible. Nazareth is a pretty big city now. If you look it up, if you Google that, and you look on Wikipedia, you'll see that Nazareth has like 77,000 people. That's a lot of people. That is more than Carroll County, Grayson County, Floyd County, and Galax put together. And double that, and then you got Nazareth. Big place. But when Jesus lived there, it was like 200 to 400 people. Small little community. Very, very, very small. You know, there are several local churches in our area that will have more than 200 or 400 people in attendance this morning. Quite a few. So they would have more people in a church service than 
all the people who lived in Nazareth in the days of Jesus. Um, now, we live in a small town. Small town. Very small. I told you before I, I grew up, my little, my little kid years were spent in Dugspur. You know where Dugspur is at. I remember being dazzled by the bright lights of the sprawling metropolis of Hillsville. When we would come to town, it's like, wow, mama, they got them our newfangled electric lights up here. They don't have candles and lanterns like we do back out in the country. I mean, it was like a big deal. It was like Hillsville was like a big place to me, you know, and it's still the biggest town I've ever lived in. I lived in uptown Meadows of Dan. Up, you know, if you know Meadows of Dan, uptown is, is up where the gas stations are. Downtown is where the post office is. It's up and some of y'all been in Meadows of Dan and know how full of it I am. But yeah, that's, this is a, as metropolitan as I've ever been. I'm a, I'm a small town guy. And one of the things uh, about being a small town person is you get to know each other. That's nice. Um, not everybody in this room was started out here. But praise God, you got here as quick as you could, didn't you? Okay, it's a nice place to live. It's a lot of good things about here. One of the nicest things is you can, you can go to Food Lion and see like six people you know. And that's, that's good. And you could say, hey, how you doing? And, and, and people care and, and all that, unless, unless you're in a hurry. My kids don't always like going with me to the store because they're like, Dad, how do you know everybody? I was like, well, I'm from here, and I've done ministry here, and I just know a lot of people. And just keep that in mind. If you're ever doing something that you shouldn't be doing, I'll probably find out. So just keep that in mind. But it's nice. Um, you know God might sometimes send you to the grocery store on a mission trip. Do you believe that? God might send you into a store when you don't really need anything there. And you may not walk out with anything, but maybe you'll meet somebody who needed a prayer and encouragement and help or, or just someone to, that needed to know that there's a person who cares about them. So I understand, hey, if you're an introvert and you're scared, you know, you don't really want to interact that much, 100% get it. I know you don't believe me right now because I'm up here talking, but in my heart of hearts, I would avoid people in the grocery store, except I don't think God wants me to. I used to, but I think if I see somebody and I got a chance maybe to encourage them and share a word with them, that's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and maybe I would encourage you to do the same. You don't have to be the social butterfly. You don't have to be Lucy, who is able to talk to anybody in the whole world and make them feel like they're the most special person. You lucky man, David Boudreaux. You got it made. Just Lucy will make you feel like she's known you forever. Maybe you don't have that. I don't really have that. But if the Lord has me to talk to somebody, I want to encourage him. Jesus was a small town guy. He grew up in Nazareth, way smaller than what we call a small town. Two, three, four hundred people. So he literally knew everybody, and everybody literally knew him. He lived there for 30 years, give or take. So people knew him, or they thought they knew him. And that's really the whole thing here. They thought they knew Jesus. They thought they had Jesus figured out. And to this day, everybody thinks they know Jesus. Everybody thinks they got Jesus figured out. Even people who don't really follow Jesus, who really aren't involved with any kind of like a, a church group or anything like this, they think, oh, yeah, I get that. Jesus, oh, he's that guy. He's always in a white robe carrying a lamb around for some odd reason. 
and he has that beautiful pert plus hair and he seems to be Caucasian even though he grew up in the Middle East and was born to Middle Eastern parents but anyway he seems really cool and he tells us to be nice to one another yeah I like that guy he seems he seems he seems pretty rad this Jesus guy but let me tell you there's a lot more to Jesus there's a lot more to Jesus if you have been in church your whole life if you have read the Bible cover to cover a hundred times if you have been to Bible college and you graduate with all the degrees I'm here to tell you Jesus is more No matter what you know about him, no matter what you believe about him, Jesus is more. He's more and more, Billy. More and more and more, and we need more and more of him. Do not settle for where you are right now when there's more and more and more of Jesus to discover and to embrace. That's the main heart of this message. It's the title of the message if you're into writing things down in you. Let me say, if you write things down, it will help you. Jesus is more. Jesus is more. So the people in Nazareth, they see Jesus come like, oh, we know this guy. They didn't really know this guy. Jesus is more than they knew. So let's read a little bit, and then uh, we'll go and talk about it. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Then he went out from there, and he came to his own country, that is to say his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works might be performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Let's stop and pray. Heavenly Father, would you please speak to us here? We need so desperately to know Jesus more, to trust him more, to believe him more. There is so much more to Jesus than we see. Please reveal a little bit of that to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is back in his hometown, Nazareth, the place where he grew up. As they would say in the country, his old stomping grounds. Old stomping grounds. Y'all hear that growing up? I sure heard it a lot. The old stomping grounds. He's only been gone like a year or two, though. He, he left. I don't know if he made an announcement and said, Hey, you guys, off to save the world. Be back in a couple years. I don't know. But he was gone. He's been gone for a couple of years. And now he's back. There was a synagogue in Nazareth. That's very much like a, a, a Jewish version of a church, or <laughs> to be more accurate, a church is like a Jewish version of a synagogue because synagogue came first. And, you know, here is Jesus. This is his home church he grew up in. And naturally, oh, here's, here's the preacher boy. And he's back in town. We should have him to speak at the church service, at the synagogue service. So, and they did, and they invited him to speak. But when he started speaking, oh, they didn't like much what he had to say. Mark tells us they were astonished by the things he had to say. And some translations say they were offended. It really caught them off guard. They did not expect to hear the things that they heard. Um, This idea of being astonished, it's, it's like... Being caught off guard, all right? It's like you're playing softball. You all got to forgive me for the sports metaphors. Sports is what I know. 
So I know sports, so that's what I do. Imagine you're playing softball, and they lob you just this beautiful pitch right down the middle, and you know if you can get a hold of that thing, it is out of here. And it's beautiful. It's coming down the middle. It's a beautiful pitch, home run pitch. And you look at it, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I think it's a little too high. I'm not going to swing at it. So you don't swing. And the pitch comes, and the umpire says, strike. And you're out, and the game's over. And you're just like looking around with, what the? That pitch was too high. I, I don't get it. And didn't swing at it. See, these folks were kind of like that. Jesus lobbed them a softball. He lobbed them what I would call a tater ball. That good one where you just know. That sweet spot, a little high, little high over the outside of the plate. If you ever pitch into me, don't throw me one of those. Because I'll make you pay for it. I can't do much, but I can't hit a softball. Um, I mean, just... One of those things, they should have nailed it, and they didn't. They didn't even swing. You see, they should have understood who Jesus really was. He lobbed them this beautiful pitch. He showed them his teaching, his miracles that proved who he was, but they just watched it go by. They ignored it. They said, ah, it's too high. They, they could not get past what they knew about him from before. Because this was his hometown. They saw him grow up. And they're like, Who's, where does he get this stuff? I mean, who, who's this Jesus guy I think he is? He, he grew up here. We know his brothers. His brothers live over there. They, got, they, they kept on the construction business. His, his mama still lives here. Over there on West Galilee Drive. His mama works there. Two of his sisters work over there at the Smart Styles cutting hair. And wasn't he a carpenter? I know he's a carpenter. I'm pretty doggone sure he built a chicken coop for my cousin Mordecai about three years ago. And I'll be doggone if it wasn't a good chicken coop, but now we're supposed to believe he's some kind of amazing prophet and a miracle worker? I don't think so. He's just a regular old country redneck like the rest of us. Why in the world does he think he's something now? Mm. See, they'd known him for 30 years. He was their neighbor. He was their cousin. He, they watched him grow up, and some of them grew up with him. They knew him. They, they couldn't believe that he was now something more than what they remembered. People have a hard time recognizing when someone has grown and someone has changed. And, and that goes for us, too. I mean, right now, can you think of that girl in middle school or high school who was really pretty but she was mean to everybody can you think of that girl i see it on your faces right now you remember you you weren't none of y'all were that person were you y'all are pretty y'all real pretty and everything but i'm sure y'all were nice um but you can remember i can remember i can remember being in ninth grade which was a difficult time for me that i hadn't blossomed into this specimen you see before you Right now, okay, well, hey, it was worse. I had to glow up because there was no room to glow down, folks. Um, so I remember this, you know, this girl, she was really pretty, and she, uh, but she was mean, and she was mean to me personally, and I still, I can just remember it right now. And that's been quite, ninth grade was a while ago, y'all. But it is something, you think about that person who was mean, like, and for no good reason, just mean, and when someone brings up their name years later, for some reason you think about that person who was mean for no good reason, your first thought is probably not, well, I bet they grew up into a fine person and they aren't like that anymore. Is it? 
Your first thought is probably something like, I bet she's still a witch. And your second thought might be, I hope she got fat. <laughs> I mean, it's that. And, but if you really, now, if you haven't been around that person, they might have grown, they might have changed, but your assumptions about them are still back in ninth grade. And you're like, you see them like, doggone, she didn't get fat. Um, it's disappointment, disappointment. But anyway, maybe that person has changed a lot, but, but you wouldn't see that. And we don't like it when people don't see the change in us, right? We want people to recognize that we're not who we were a few years ago. The Lord's been working on us. The Lord's been changing us. And I think about this. Um, when I started, the, the second church that I served, when I stepped into there, I was, I was young. I was kind of full of myself. And um, things went really well at first. Had a lot of successes right off and and it kind of went to my head i got overconfident and and i just wasn't that mature i wasn't really mature enough for it and i i had good ideas there were good ideas wanted to do good things but i went around about it in a wrong way you ever had that you're trying to do a good thing but you try it in the wrong way and you really don't think about how to move people along and um help bring them on board you don't think about trying to work with people you just sort of go just kind of like a bull in a china shop, just going through, and I was kind of like that. And um, unfortunately, I made some, I made some enemies out of people who could have been my allies if I just chilled out and done a lot more praying and slowed down, and we would have maybe accomplished a bit more in my time there. And I'm like, I know the Lord has changed me since then, and praise God, the Lord's changed me a lot since then, and I hope He's still growing me now. I need it. I need to grow and learn every single day but for some of the people who knew me back then they probably still think of me as that eager young preacher who really didn't slow down and ask the right questions and who stepped on some people who didn't mean to but you know for some people i'll always be that guy and i'm still blocked on facebook by some of these people <laughs> um so uh, i hope i get a chance to show them that i'm not that guy anymore but I might not ever. And it, it hurts my heart, you know. They'll see me because they, their assessment of me was probably right, at least in some ways. And I hope I'm just not that guy anymore. The people in Jesus' hometown, they thought they knew him. They, they still saw him as the, the kid who grew up and became a carpenter like Joseph, his adoptive father. But he wasn't that little boy anymore. As a matter of fact, he, he was always more than a little boy. He was always more than a young man. He was always more than a carpenter. He was always more than that. It just hadn't been revealed. Jesus is more. How interesting to me that the problem they had with Jesus was that he was a small-town, blue-collar guy. But what were those people in Nazareth? They were small-town, blue-collar guys just country people they rejected jesus not because he was so different from them but because he was like them and they didn't expect an influential spiritual leader to be down to earth somebody who who cared about everyday problems um jesus just didn't have the right credentials they had their idea of what a a prophet or a spiritual leader should be and they should have this and they should have that and jesus didn't fit the bill i'm telling you there's a lot of churches 
who would not hire Jesus as a pastor today. I know this. I've been on pulpit search committees. I've been on both sides of that thing. And Jesus, if you put on the resume, been a carpenter for the last so many years and haven't been to seminary, let alone one of the specific denominational seminaries, I know where that resume is going. That resume is going over in file 13, right over in the trash can, and he wouldn't even get a shot. Of course, they didn't, wouldn't know about who Jesus was. Jesus would not have fit the bill that they expected. His roots were too humble. So he wasn't, he wasn't who they expected. And there's another thing here. They hadn't quite forgotten the unusual circumstances of his birth. And they weren't about to free, let him forget it either. Now notice, back it up one verse. I think it's one verse. Verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? They didn't call him the son of Joseph. Normally they would call someone the son of their, their father. That's normally how it was done in that culture. But they called him the son of Mary here. And that two things that probably tells us. First of all, Joseph had probably already passed away. We can deduce that from other passages. We just don't see him. And second of all, it's probably their subtle way of poking at him because of the circumstances of his birth that maybe they didn't really believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit as the story. I mean, hey, would you believe that if you heard somebody tell the story? I mean, to be fair, it would be a very hard thing to believe. And they're saying, well, he's Mary's son. Mm, who's his daddy? Well, well, they say he's, Joseph was his adopted daddy. Well, who's his real daddy? Well, there's a story. There's a story about that. Not sure how I feel about that. We're probably still quite a few folks in Nazareth who, who didn't buy it. Um, so long story short, they didn't really care what Jesus had done in other towns. And there's evidence they had seen some of his miracles and they had heard his teaching. They could not see past his humble beginnings. They said, ah, Jesus, he doesn't live up to the hype so far as we're concerned. And Jesus responded, verse 5, uh, verse 4, there we go. This prophet, uh, he said, this, this, it's a country proverb, I guess you would call it. This is not a quote out of the Old Testament. This is something that was probably a saying in those days. He said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, and in his, among his own relatives, and in his own house. That's, that was the saying that they had, that, that someone who was really wanting to do something for the Lord, it was hard for them to, to be appreciated by the people who, who knew them before. And it, it's a tough thing. Now, these people in Israel talked a lot about respecting the prophets. You have to understand, they grow up hearing the stories about the prophets, and they were like the superheroes in the, the country. Guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah were like Batman and Spider-Man. They even had some miraculous powers from time to time. And they, they said, oh man, we like these guys. They're amazing. They're our, that's our history. These great prophets, these great men of God. But the truth was, guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah were not well received in their own day. That historically Israel did not like prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They liked the false prophets because the false prophets were always telling them things they wanted to hear telling them that, hey, everything is great and everything's going to be wonderful and God's going to fix everything. Meanwhile, the true prophets were always telling them, hey, there's some stuff you've got to deal with. You've got to clean up the mess in your life. 
you got to get back to God. That's what the true prophets were telling them, that they needed to work on their spiritual life. The false prophets were telling them, oh, you're fine, you're wonderful, you're great. God is going to make you healthy and wealthy. You're blessed and highly favored and all of that stuff. And you could build a big following like that, but God, <laughs> a true message from God is probably going to tell you, you got to deal with some stuff. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not like Isaiah or Jeremiah, but I'm telling you, there's some stuff that we've all got to deal with. There's business we got to do with God, and that's the truth. But people have not historically like being told that they need to straighten things out. So in Israel, the false prophets tended to be honored, whereas the true prophets tended to be rejected and persecuted and even executed jeremiah great prophet of god right you know what they did at jeremiah they threw him down in a well full of mud and he was down there squishing in the mud and probably would have died there if someone hadn't pulled him out someone had pity on him isaiah man amazing prophet wrote 66 a book of 66 chapters long amazing prophecy you know what they did to isaiah according to historical evidence they probably executed him by sawing him in half while he was still alive i hope they did it short ways because long ways whew, that seems worse it's terrible there's no good way to get sawed in half makes me feel bad for all them fishworms i did that way growing up anyway not that bad not that bad about it but the point is guys like isaiah and jeremiah The people said that they loved the prophets, but they didn't really. They didn't. Um, Now they had the greatest prophet of all standing in front of them, and they were rejecting him too. Now, speaking of prophets, I want to do a really quick detour to talk about what is a prophet anyway. In the most basic sense, a prophet is someone who gives a message from the Lord. Most of the time when we hear the word prophet or prophecy, we think of something very specific. We think of someone making a predictive prophecy about something that's going to happen in the future or maybe someone revealing new information from the Lord, like new doctrine, new teaching from the Lord. And you know what? There were prophets like that. Guys like Isaiah certainly made predictive prophecies about the future and they have shown to be true. Guys like Jeremiah certainly gave us a new revelation of information from the Lord and it is proven to be well-founded but not every prophet is revealing something like revealing the future or revealing something new um that prophets means they may be given a message from god based on information that's already revealed see we don't need predictive prophecy like we did at one time why because this right here we've got the word of god it's complete god doesn't have to tell us new doctrinal information he does not have to predict additional events we have enough in the word of god we we don't need more information we we don't need more we just need to do what we already supposed to be doing like most of us we don't need more rules we don't need more guidance we just need to do what we knew we were supposed to do in the first place so um there is a, a prophecy that is not foretelling but forthtelling, speaking forth the word of God is already revealed. So that means people like preachers could, could fairly be considered prophets. But please don't call me a prophet. And let me tell you why. Because people associate the word prophet with the predictive thing so much. 
Like if someone says they're a prophet, you say, well, okay, we'll predict something for me or reveal something new. And, and that's, that's not something that is needed any longer. And uh, there's, it just leads to confusion for the most part. In fact, I'm going to caution you that if you meet somebody or hear of somebody who wants to be referred to as a prophet or allows other people to refer them to them as a prophet, you should probably slow down and look really close. Okay? Technically, it would not be an incorrect term, but I'm just based on what I've seen, most of the folks that I've heard of or encountered who wanted to be called a prophet um, seem only to receive messages from God that give them some sort of an advantage. Okay? You follow me? So, oh, you're a prophet. And you say God has told us to give you all this money because you need a jet. How incredibly, God isn't God's timing so awesome that he gave you that message about the same time you wanted a jet? Oh, you're a prophet and you're telling us now that God has revealed it's totally cool to have multiple wives. What an amazing coincidence that it happened that this revelation from God happened at about the same time you decided you wanted to get into a bed with another woman who wasn't your wife, but you wanted to do it legit. Interesting. So just be very careful. Now, the true prophets, guys like Jeremiah and Isaiah, their prophecies did not bring them advantages. It got them killed. Or at least in Isaiah's case, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he agonized and grieved over the burden of the prophecy. Anybody who's claiming to be a prophet or claiming to bring a message from God and they're doing so so they can gain an advantage over someone or gain a material advantage, whoo, better be careful. Better be real, real careful about that. So back here we are. We're back onto the interstate. We pulled off on that scenic overlook and we've looked down there at Pilot Mountain uh, prophecy and then we talked about that. Now we're back. We're back on the highway. So Jesus was a prophet like no other. He predicted the future, and it came true. He revealed lots of new doctrine, and it proved to be solid. The people of his hometown did not see it. But had they recognized him as a prophet, would that have been enough? If they had said, oh, yeah, I think he is a prophet, would that have been enough? Is Jesus just a prophet? Jesus is more. Jesus is more than a prophet. So long as you only see Jesus as a prophet, you are missing a lot. Jesus is more than a prophet. He is more than a philosopher. He's more than a good teacher. He's more than a religious guru. He's more than Buddha. He's more than Krishna. He's more than Confucius. He's more than Muhammad. He's more than Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and anybody else you want to add to that list. He's more than that. And he's more than a man. See, that's what they were really getting wrong here. That's what they were ultimately missing here. The teaching and the miracles of Jesus proved he was not just sent from God. He was and is God. Now, if you've been around church for a long time and we say Jesus is one with the Father, Jesus is God, Jesus is divine... That doesn't sound weird, right? If you've been around church, that doesn't sound strange. But you got to understand, that's a big claim. That's huge. And, and keep in mind that not everybody in the world sees things the way we see. If you meet somebody who doesn't really have anything to do with Christianity and you say, hey, we believe Jesus is the Son of God, one with God, we believe Jesus is divine, they're like, ooh, okay. 
That's a sticky point. And it was a sticky point in Jesus's own day. It was incredibly controversial. And ultimately, that's why they executed him was because of his claim to be divine, one with the Father. He claimed to be more than a man. He claimed to be God. Some people say that Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not God. But don't you see the paradox there? Would a good teacher make a false claim to be God? The only person who's going to make a false claim to be God is someone who is evil or someone who is insane. Did Jesus look evil to you? No. Even his critics didn't think he was evil. Did he look insane to you? He seemed to be the only person who knew what was going on. You see, either Jesus is God or he's not good. Because if he was only good and not God, and yet he claimed to be God, he couldn't be good. Jesus made the claim to be God, and he backed it up. That's the thing, though, y'all. Back it up. I could tell you that I could dunk a basketball. Some of y'all played, and y'all know I got no hops at all. I got the height, but not the hops. My vertical leap's about eight inches. Takes a lot to get this off the ground. So I can't dunk a basketball. The only thing I could dunk is an Oreo. Takes a lot less effort. Love that. And I have a problem with my Oreo falling apart because I want it to soak up too much milk. Anyway, it's one thing to claim. It's another thing to prove it. Jesus backed up his claim by miracle after miracle. And his miracles continue to this day. Do you believe God's still in the miracle working business? I know he is. I'm looking at some miracles right here, right now. Here's a miracle in the front row. Hey, there's a miracle over there in the back row. It's a lot more miracles. We've seen, you know, you know one of our very own, uh, Donnie Easter, we pray for him and just miracle. Uh, just so much cancer in his body and pow, miracle. God doesn't heal everybody, and there's reasons for that, and that's a way more than I can handle in this message. He's still in the healing business, but let me tell you something. As awesome as healing miracles are, and as grateful as I am for them, the greatest miracles are not lives that are spared. The greatest miracles are lives that are transformed. The biggest miracles are when Jesus lifts somebody out of a life of self-destruction and makes them brand new. When, when God takes a daddy who is not there for his kids, who is messed up in drugs or alcohol, and changes that man, and he becomes a good daddy. That is a miracle that is greater than any healing. When, when God takes someone who is ready to end their own life because they're so down and so depressed and God lifts them up and gives them a new shot. That is a great miracle that is even greater than the greatest healing and there's so much more. And of course, the greatest miracle of all is being made new in Him. Imagine if you saw all the miracles but you missed the main miracle. Man, as much as I want to see people healed, and I do, even more than that, I want to see people saved. If God gives you miracles of healing and provision, but you never accept his healing of salvation, you've missed the most essential thing. Say God blesses you with health and wealth on earth, but you spend eternity separated from him? Man, that's no good. Make me broken, poor, and sick, but let me get to be with Jesus in eternity if I have to choose between the two.
So we're kind of getting to the tough part of the story here. A few more verses, verses 5 and 6. Matthew 6, Mark 6, verses 5 and 6. Oh, wow. Listen to this. Now, isn't this sad? Listen, this is sad stuff. Now, he could do no mighty work there. God could not, Jesus could not do a mighty work there in his hometown, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about, then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, Jesus went to his own people wanting to do mighty works, but he could not do mighty works among them. He wanted to do miracles for them, but he could not. Their refusal to believe meant they missed out on miracles. Folks, how many miracles have we missed out on? Because we wouldn't believe God. We wouldn't trust him with something. We wouldn't give it to him and see what he could do with it. How many miracles have we missed out on? Not because God's not good. It's because we wouldn't give it to him. Because we wouldn't believe. You see, our lack of faith does not hold him back from us. It holds us back from him. That's the problem. When people came to Jesus, what did he do? He worked in their lives. He healed them. He did miracles. In other towns, people flocked to Jesus, and he did miracles for them. The greatest miracles were not making the blind to see. The greatest miracles were those who were transformed, people like Mary Magdalene, people like, uh, like um, Zacchaeus, who left a life of cheating people and became a new creation. Those are the great miracles. See, Jesus couldn't do any of those things in his hometown, not because he was unwilling, but because they were unwilling. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Marveled. I don't think anything really surprises the Lord. He knows, but this cut him deep. These were his neighbors and his childhood friends. And he showed back up ready to help them. And they could not accept it. One of you might say, why didn't he do a miracle right then and there and prove who he was? He'd already done it and they had seen it. Look back in the scriptures. They, they knew about his miracles. They witnessed at least some miracles at this time. He did heal some people there, but it wasn't enough. It's not though as though they did not have enough evidence to believe him. They didn't want to believe him. Remember what I said about the false prophets and the true prophets? That people liked the false prophets because they told them the things they wanted to hear and you didn't have to change anything about your life. And then the true prophets came along and said, hey, ooh, you got to deal with this. You got some stuff you got to deal with. You need to deal with that and turn back to the Lord. And they didn't like that. Well, this is what Jesus is doing. He's telling them they got to deal with some stuff and they, they don't like that. Right. I'm telling you right now, there is evidence enough to prove Jesus is who he says he is. Just look around. There's evidence to prove Jesus is the son of God, unless you're dead set on believing he isn't. To those who are determined not to believe, to those who are determined to hold on to their own ways, no amount of evidence will be enough. Not even if someone were to rise from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus proved that. That even after he rose from the dead, they still said, ah, he does, he's not my idea of a savior. The scriptures tell us that he left Nazareth and he went on a preaching tour of the other small towns in the area. Because the people of his hometown didn't want him, he went to the people who did. Now, the people of Nazareth thought they knew Jesus. They, they had seen him. They had lived with him for 30 years. They thought they had him figured out. But they could not see that Jesus was more. And Jesus is more. He's more and more and more and more. And we need more and more of him.
whatever level of understanding you have about Jesus, maybe you've been doing this Jesus thing for a long time, but I'm telling you right now, Jesus is more. The person who you know who knows the most about the Word of God and is the most faithful believer, whatever they know about God and whatever they believe about God, Jesus is more. He's more and more and more. No matter how much goodness of God you've experienced, Jesus is more. He's more than a man. He's more than a good teacher. Let's make some room here. Um, Yeah, we'll make some room. Um, More than a good teacher. He's more than a prophet. He's more. He's more than a man. Jesus is more. Jesus is God. I don't want to miss another miracle, do you? I need to see some miracles. I've seen some miracles lately. I hope you've seen some miracles lately. God has done some things for my family. I'm, I just, I've looked back over the, like the last 14 months, Kate, 14 months ago. Our lives have changed so much. I mean, it was, I I'm, don't know what to think about what's happening next. I mean, God's still doing things. And he'll do that for you too. And I just want to see more miracles. I don't want to miss a miracle because I wouldn't trust in Jesus for who he really is. Jesus is more. Don't be satisfied with your current understanding of Jesus. Get to know him better. Jesus is more than you know. You think you know Jesus. And I hope you know Jesus. But Jesus is more than what you know. Jesus is more. And with all my heart, I encourage people to be saved. To trust in Jesus as a Savior. That's where it begins. And if you've done that, renew your commitment to the Lord. Trust in him with that thing you're holding on to. Can can we talk about that thing? That thing you're holding on to? That thing you're worrying about? That thing that's bothering you? Ain't it about time you trust Jesus with that thing? He can handle it. He can handle it better than you can. Jesus is more. Say yes to Jesus. We're going to wrap this thing up. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody receiving this message right here in this room or later as it goes out on a podcast that they would see that Jesus is more. I want to pray for that person who needs to be saved. Lord, that they would pray right now in their hearts. Father, please forgive me. Please save me. I believe that Jesus is your son, and I believe he came to save me. Please forgive me of all my sin. I want the new life that Jesus gives. And Lord, for those who have trusted in you already, we want to pray together, Lord, I want more of Jesus. I want more and more and more of Jesus in my life. God, show me more of Jesus. Lord, we turn over to you those things that we've been holding so tightly, those things that we think we need to fix, those things that we think if we ever let go, something bad's going to happen, but may we release them to you for your glory. Thank you for sending us Jesus, who is so much more than we ever know. In Jesus' name, amen. I praise God that if you're one of God's kids, you're going to be in heaven someday, and we're told that we will know as we are known. We'll know Jesus like he knows us. Won't that be something? That'll be awesome. Thank you guys for being here today and being a part of this. I hope you have a wonderful, blessed week. Come back next week. We're going to be still in Mark chapter 6. We'll pick up at verse, where did we get to? Verse uh, 6. We'll pick up in verse 7 of Mark chapter 6. So there's your homework. Study ahead. God bless you all. We'll see you next time.